I'm Matt. Hey, I'm Steve. Hey, I'm John. This is the Sober Friends Podcast. We're here for the sober curious, the new guy, and the old timer. Here to talk about the stuff anyone looking to live alcohol-free has to face day to day, and how we overcame those struggles. We speak for no 12-step group, but we do try to remain anonymous. You're not alone. This is the Sober Friends Podcast. When I was early in sobriety, I called John about something that was bothering me, and he referred to whatever I was talking to him about as a character defect. And I was so offended to say something about me was defective because I didn't know what a character defect was. This is a technical 12-step term. So this is the Sober Friends Podcast. You got me, you got Steve, and I think John uh, overslept his nap. So he's not with us today. Steve, how you doing? Well, you know, he needs the naps because uh, he's an old guy. So He's a very old guy. And he works a, he works a full-time job. Um, yep. And uh, yeah, so he, he needs his nap. So good. I'm, I'm glad he overslept a little bit. So we'll give him a break here. Oh, character defects. This is uh, one of my favorite things. I've discovered a few new ones and it's a place I got to continuously work. I hope that you feel that you've got some ones to work on. Maybe you don't even know what the character defects is. Maybe this is something brand new for you. Buckle up. You're going to hear a little bit and hopefully learn What's your idea of character defects, Steve? When when we start talking character defects, what comes to mind? Well, I, I, like you, if you if you had told me early on, and I'm probably sure it was, I don't recall anybody saying that. I I too would have been offended. Like, what do you mean I'm defective? What do you mean I have these problems? You know, character defects to me are those things that are troublesome. Those those things that routinely jump up time after time again, and you know bite me in the ass. And and I'll give you an example of what I mean. When my wife and I have an issue, which we're a married couple, so we have issues. And um, one of the biggest things that happens to me is I get certain expectations or ideas of how something should be or how I want it to be. And she's not at that same place. And what happens is I'm, you know, either happy about something or looking forward to something and she's not. And I don't know. And the the problem becomes I don't know that she's not. And when those two things mesh, I always say it's the distance between those two things. You know, how high I am and how low she might be or how uninterested she might be. And sometimes I crash and burn on that. And it it causes me a lot of problems. And And it comes up a lot less than it used to come up but it still comes up and still gives me trouble today. And that's the character defect. I'm like, you know, always having these expectations and not, some of them are realistic, some of them not realistic, those type of things. And then, you know, some, some of the other things that I think of when it character defects, you know, my ego, we, I've talked about it many times, you know, my ego is a character defect. I talked about last year, the big hiking thing where I realized that most of my social media posts, and I've heard this like, about young kids, like they're always looking for likes and stuff like that. I realized that most of my, even mine as a 60 plus year old male were because I wanted people to like what I was posting. And I realized like I was just trying to feed my ego. And when that happened to me, I was like, I was stunned when that, you know, so those are the type of things and they give me trouble, right? Those, those things, they give me trouble. Somewhere down the line, they're going to give me trouble. And uh, so, you know, the thing about the program that we work, Matt, and about sobriety is that it gives us an opportunity to work on these. 
if there's one thing that I think helped me in this program to change my life, it was the fact that number one is identifying my character defects. And then it was number two, having a process to work on them. And that it really changed my life. How do you work on a character defect? We talked about this over the weekend and you mentioned one that I have and that, hey, you may need to work on this. So if somebody's going to work on a character defect, how do they do it? Well, for me, it's, it's you know, being that I'm in a 12-step program, it's using those 12 steps, right? That, that's for me. You know, I'll use, the, I'll use the P word, which is a pray word. I do a lot of praying on it. Just thinking about this. Right. I was just, I do a lot of praying on my defects of character. And, um, and those are the two things. I'll use the steps. So here, here's what it means for me. If I see a character defects that's biting me in the ass, one of the first things I do is I stop, I acknowledge it, I pray on it a little bit. The next thing I do is I typically call another alcoholic, right? Something that you did. And I call another alcoholic and I walk through it. And there's certain ones that I, you know, there's certain people on my list that I know are more helpful to me in that situation than others. But even though I just call somebody else and I talk it through. And then what happens is if I have a problem, you know, I had a big problem the other you know, day with a neighbor, my dog being attacked and all that. And I lost my shit on that whole thing. Like I knew I needed like, oh, that, that's a problem for me. Right. Anger was a problem is a problem. Frustration is a problem for me. So those are things like, oh, I have to pay attention to those. I was at a 12 step meeting, a step meeting last night. I don't usually go to meetings on Tuesday night. I try to fit some in here and there. And it was on step two. And one of the things I said is that every morning I wake up and I ask for relief from me. Right. That's what I'm looking for. Right. Relief from me. Now, I don't want the world to be fixed around me. I want to be fixed so that I can go through the day and the way I put it, just so I'm not a jerk. Like literally, just so I'm not a jerk that day. So, I mean, those are the, the couple little things I do is, like I said, I work the steps. I talk to another alcoholic and um, and I pray on it. You know, those were things that I, I, I try to do to nip it in the bud. Sometimes they don't, they, they, that doesn't happen right away, right? Sometimes I got a stew in it, um, depending on what it is. But m- hopefully if I can get to that sooner than later, then I can move on from it and it won't affect other parts of my day. I'm a master chef. <laughs> I'm great at stewing. Yeah. Stewing in my own misery. There are times that if I take a step back rationally and what's bothering me, I would look back and say, there's really nothing to stew on this. This is not going to destroy me. And yet there's still that feeling of this has now derailed my life. It's going to destroy my career. It's going to destroy my hobbies. I'm going to lose my home. And that's where I start to spiral to whenever I feel under stress. It always goes there. And if I look back six months after something has bothered me, I kind of forget that it happened. I look back and say, why was I so bothered about that? Which doesn't make it any easier in the moment to let it go. That's another defect of mine is it's incredibly difficult for me to let go. And it took a lot of years to realize part of it is if I let it go, you win. Yeah, it's It's not necessarily that I have to beat you. It's a feeling of how do I put this? I'm not standing up for myself type of thing. If I let you win, it's more of a, I have to, because of my background growing up where I felt walked over, I'm not going to let anybody walk over me again. So I have to win, which brings some stuff up when it's entirely acceptable in those situations to kind of sidestep and say, I'm not going to participate. Really, really difficult for many of us. Now, don't forget, right? That for most of us, for you, for me, by the time I got here, I had years, years 
you know, decades. I had decades out of control character defects, right? And just like you, part of my story was that I grew up in public housing in the 60s and early 70s. There was a lot of race tensions going on at the time. There was a lot of fighting. It was a pretty scary place. And I had oh, to- like today. Yeah, right. A little bit like today. Um, I truly think it was worse back then. But then again, who knows? But I had to learn to sort of fight my way through things, just like you. Like if I didn't stick up for myself, then I, w- I would have been, you know, picked on. So I had to figure that out. And that carried with me. Like, and that's one of the things that happened even today. Like, you know, if somebody starts pushing me the wrong way, you know, I, I go quickly to anger. You know, and that anger is sort of a self-defense mechanism. Much better, again, much better today. Much better today than I ever was. But it's still there. Um, And my kids, my kids are sort of, my kids sort of know that. You know, my daughter especially. My daughter purposely does not tell me certain things (laughs) in a timely fashion. She'll tell me eventually, but in, in a timely fashion. Um, because she's, she worries a little bit about my overreaction, especially if it's something to do with somebody harassing her. Um, she's worried that I will overreact and get myself in trouble. That's actually smart on her yeah. part. There's something to be said with delaying a decision or delaying a conversation, not because you're denying it or I don't want to tell. Or I think there's something to be said of, I'm not going to give this message right now because either of how I feel or how the other person is going to feel. And if I give it when we're both calm, it's more productive. And she's very capable of taking care of herself and and working it out. And she has other ways to handle those, right? So that's the other thing. I think if she really needed it, she'd come to me if she thought she needed my help. And that was the way to to really take care of it. But she has other ways. She's very intelligent. And like I said, she she can find other ways to handle it. And most of those things she has without my help. And, uh, and that's the other thing, right? I always thought, you know, my ego again. I thought that I needed to do all that stuff, right? How could my, you know, 27, 28-year-old daughter handle these things? Well, you know, when I was 27, 28, I was getting married and having a family. And, you know, we were all doing that kind of stuff, you know. But it's a never-ending, it's a never-ending journey for me to, first of all, identify the fact that I have these character defects. And again, being in a 12-step program, right, when we start getting to the character defects and all, you know, that's the that's our fourth step. And we start trying to identify that by going through some of these things that bothered us. And that's one of the advantages about having this program is starting to go through these things and try to see, you know, what kind of things irk me? And then, and, and the thing about this program is that when we do that step, if you, you know, if you're aware of that, then you can pick out some patterns that we have. And I know it's true for me, right? There are patterns that happen, right? I mean, I, just like you, I grew up in an alcoholic family. I had a, my, you know, and the alcoholic in my family was my mother. So I had lots of issues dealing with female relationships in my life. And trust me, I had no clue what that was about until I was much older and went into therapy and realized, oh, wait a minute. I didn't, my mother was physically there, but emotionally she wasn't there for a good part of my formative years. You know, she did end up getting sober. Um, but by that time I was already out of the house, you know, I, you know, I moved out of my house when I was 19. So through all of the, especially the high school years, like the, 
the you know the late elementary school and then high school years when I really realized, oh, my mom's an alcoholic, you know, and I had a fend for myself, and my dad worked all the time, so you know those type of things that just draw me back, and um, so we look at them, you know. For me, for me, it's about going to meetings, it's about working with the fellowship, it's about talking to you, it's about doing this podcast, it's about all those things that help keep me um, in a level place. If you get something out of this podcast, it's a bonus to me because I've, I've started doing this podcast for me because it helps me. It's another meeting I go to. It helps me if I go on somebody else's podcast. It helps me. And it's a benefit if you get something out of it. And that has helped with my mindset. I didn't think a lot about prayer and helping with this. And as you're talking, I'm realizing prayer is helpful. You might be an agnostic or an atheist. And let me tell you why even in that case, prayer helps. Because it gets you out of your own head. For me, this is how it helps. I always feel better. I feel more calm. I may not always hear the voice of God, but I feel more calm. And I have said out loud the thing that's bothering me. And that in and of itself usually puts me in a better place. And if I'm willing to put this into somebody else's hands than my own, I'm not being selfish. Now, it's up to you to decide that if God exists or hears that. I can only tell you that when I actually humble myself in doing that, I do get something out of it. And I'm not always great at doing that. No, uh, either am I. I mean, I get up in the morning and I have a series of... Rituals that I do that include praying and reading some some type of um, meditation or some type of message, and I rotate some different stuff. Matter of fact, I just um, you know put down one book that was starting to get stale to me, so I said, "Okay, it's time to put down this book." Right? I mean, I, I've been reading it for over a year, day after day, and it's like time to get time to just do something else. And uh, so I moved to another book that I'm familiar with, and I'll read that for a while. But one of the things that I said again last night at this meeting was, you know, when I came into this place, I, I really had no use for a God. I really didn't. I I just through some life events had given up on the God of my youth and didn't really care. And even today, uh, have have no interest in rekindling that relationship that I had with with the God of my youth. I have no interest in that. Um, that religious type of thing that I was brought up with. But when I came into this program, here's what I found, okay? And this is for people who may struggle with, just like you said, with the God thing, is that I saw a lot of guys who did certain things, and, and they had a pretty good thing going on. They had a pretty good life. And one of the things they did was they got up and they prayed. And again, my prayers ask for relief from me you know, or help, you know, it's that serenity prayer, you know, that simple little prayer saying to me, you know, help me to change the things I can, you know, let go of the things that I can't change and know the difference between those two, right? Um, that simple little prayer of just like, that's just relief for me. And that's what I ask for every day when I wake up, relief from me. And then I do the St. Francis prayer, which is something new to me. I just started doing it maybe a little bit more than a year ago, which just tells me to try to bring some peace and harmony and love to this world, right? I mean, really, that's all that does. Instead of being bringing discord, bring harmony. I had to study St. Francis when I was in college because I had to take a, two semesters of religion. I went to a Catholic Christian Brothers School. And I learned a lot about St. Francis, and I thought at the time St. Francis was a real nut. 
real crazy guy for his time. But if you have a God problem, I would recommend learning a little bit about St. Francis. And at a very high level, this is St. Francis's thought. It is not my job to judge. That's God. That's Jesus. Only he can judge what's right and wrong. What my job is, is just to bring the word. So he got a lot of, he was way ahead of his time where he's bringing the word of God to prostitutes, to homosexuals, to what would be at the time considered very unclean. And people would go to him like, how can you do that? How can you cavort with these unclean people? And he would say, it's not my job to judge. It's my job to bring the word to them. And I think a lot about that of, it's sort of like the idea that the gym is not for fit people. It's for fat people. Right. It's for people who are out of shape. Yeah. That's like religion and church sometimes is for, for the spiritually unfit. So you can get fit. And I always love that idea of, uh, and I'm really high leveling St. Francis, but that idea of just kind of leading with that empathy. Right. And leading with compassion for others, regardless of who they are or how they got there. And when you go there, you start thinking of people differently that if they are quote unquote unclean, maybe there's a story there. These aren't bad people. There's a story of how they got to where they are, which means there's a story for how they can get right if it's even a case of they're wrong. But that's the thing I always liked about St. Francis, that non-judgmental of I'm a man, not my job here. Yeah, and I think that's uh, another thing that our program helps us do, right? I mean, people come into this program, and our job is not to judge. And our job is to focus. We have a primary purpose to help people get sober and to live a better life. And how they got there or the struggles they have are are. Immaterial. And that's why, you know, when my wife sees me helping somebody who constantly relapses and wonder why I continue to invite that person back and continue to talk to or work with that person, she doesn't understand it, right? She's not an alcoholic. She doesn't understand it. But I do. And it's interesting because um, I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but my wife uh, has a couple of friends that she grew up with since grade school. And they're very, they're very good friends. They get together weekly almost. Um, I go out to a Friday night meeting and they've been getting together for years to play Scrabble. And one of them has had some trouble with alcohol and she right now is really, really struggling with it. And she had come to some meetings with me in the past and signed the book and raised her hand and said, hi, this is who I am and I'm an alcoholic. And right now she doesn't seem she wants any help with that. I'm like, yeah, that's the way it works sometimes, right? I mean, like, I, I get it. I don't judge her. Like, I'm, I like her, and I wish it wasn't that way. I have no judgment against her, right? I mean, I just know how this disease is. And um, I'm like, yeah. And she's like, oh, we don't know if she's, you know, on her floor. I'm like, yeah, lots of alcoholics are found passed out on their floor. It's sad, but that's just the way this whole disease works. So there's no judgment. You know, we're, we're all sick, sick and struggling. That's why we get together. That's why the fellowship, that's why having a community. And, you know, we've talked about it a lot in here, especially you, but even me to another extent. I am so open with with other people finding other paths of sobriety today, you know. Years ago, I couldn't have told you that. But now I see all the stuff on social media. 
Um, not some, for me, not so much Instagram, but there's a bunch of TikTok follows I do. And I'm sure they got Instagram accounts too. And I just watch these people. And it's like, they're not 12-steppers, but they seem like they really got something going on. They've, they have found their community. They have followers. One of the things they do is they get on, you know, maybe not every day, but lots, you know, multiple times a week and post something and share something. And that's, that's, that's their pathway to their sobriety. I've invited somebody on who is not part of a 12-step group for next week. And we'll keep our fingers crossed that it doesn't follow through. But this is a person that if you look at their Instagram account, you see the physical growth of going from being out of shape to incredibly fit and from being drunk to having a positive message. Even if you are somebody who's getting sober on Instagram, you can see that progress. And I think something there's something about that Instagram community that it's a fellowship. Yeah. It's helpful to have other people. I will tell you, I had a character defect around if you were succeeding, it meant I'm failing, an all or nothing thing. And it was very difficult for me to have happiness at your success. And I'm almost now surprised when I genuinely feel that way. Our, our pal Jill Teets got published in WebMD. And I was flipping through one of the podcasts I like to listen to. Uh, it, it's a Buzzsprout podcaster Q&A series. And they reached out to her to find out because somebody who was, in, who was a sober podcaster reached out, not necessarily about sober podcasting, but about, you know, how do I get audience engagement? And Buzzsprout reached out to Jill to say, would you come on and give us some, some tips on this? And it was really good stuff. And I was genuinely happy. I'm like, wow, this is a person I know. This is a person I talk to pretty frequently and they're getting published and they're getting on, on a Buzzsprout podcast to teach other people. And I didn't think about myself. I only thought, this is really cool that somebody I know is getting a nice rub like that. And I did take a step back saying, wow, I never would have thought this way 10 years ago. Yeah, it's not only that, but but with her you know, the way, you know, as much as she engages other people and she's found that niche that she has and she's growing it. And there's some things that she does differently than than I would do. And that's that's fine. Again, it's not a judgment. It's just that there's different things. But now she's going out and teaching other people how to do it. Right. And you've shared like she's worked with you a little bit. Yeah. So she's not only reaching out to people that she's connecting to. She's helping other people branch out so that they can connect to more people. And that's a little bit like our program, right? I mean, it's like, it's, you know, it's the, it, it's not a linear progression. It's, you know, it's an expo, exponentially uh, uh, growing ex program. So, you know, so what happens is, you know, I work with somebody, they work with me, I work with somebody, boom. And all of a sudden you got this big tree going. That's what Jill's doing, right? She's working out there. She's doing a lot of stuff. Um, she's a very talented, motivated, smart person. Um, I would expect her to get, you know, to do a lot of big stuff. And I, I've always rooted for her. And the other thing I like, like, I would like to say is that, you know, just because you're in an Instagram community or, or whatever, a podcast or whatever it might be for you, doesn't have to be mutually exclusive from AA. Like you can go to AA and have a relationship with AA. Um, we, we, we say it all the time. Come to the meetings, take what you want, leave the rest. 
come there, come there for the fellowship, come there for some of the stuff, connections, and and do whatever. So I don't think they're exclusive. I mean, again, what we're doing here is not an AA, you know, twelve step approved thing. It's what we do, but it's different, you know. Right. So it's different. So I guess I'm saying that that's exactly what we do too. It's not mutually exclusive. No, and we got an email a week or two ago from somebody who said, you know, I'm not really a twelve stepper, but I like to go to meetings from time to time. I find help with them. Should I be making an announcement? No. 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 Right. I agree. <laughs> the only the only the only criteria for membership of going to an AA meeting is you have a desire to stop drinking. You don't even have to right. you don't even have to be an alcohol you don't even have to say I'm an alcoholic. You can just say I don't want right. to drink. I mean, technically, if you had heart surgery and you're not allowed to drink anymore and you're looking for some ways to just stop drinking and talk to somebody because for, for the fact that you had surgery, you could go to an AA yeah, meeting I agree. and figure out what you need. I agree. And there was a time where that didn't work, but nowadays, again, with the, you know, it's a different, we live in a different time, right? When, when I first came into this program in 85, I mean, in 95, um, and before that, I mean, the program was a bit different. There was still a lot of very old timers who had a very different view of AA. And, um, and, and today that's changed. You, you will still find those people and you will still find those meetings, but even the old, you know, the old grumpy guys, like we know, um, even those guys are way different than they were when we first came in, you know, they're, they're much more acceptable, you know? I mean, people are cross, people announce themselves as alcoholic and cross addicted all the time at meetings that never used to happen before. You know, never used to happen. Maybe I'm just, I came in too late. It never was a big deal to me. I have, again, I go to the, I've been a little bit, but the Thursday night recovered meeting that Mark S. hosts is open to anybody who works a 12-step program. So you have Overeaters Anonymous, Al-Anon, Cocaine Anonymous, all the, all the things that end in A that are 12-step you'll hear. And if you just forget for a second that they said, I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon and you listen to their story, you'd think they're right. an alcoholic. There's something there that even if they don't drink and never have had a problem with alcohol, but they're from Al-Anon and they tell their story, it's the same stuff. And we can help each other. I, I like hearing those other groups and what they do because it's always helped me. I'll tell you one of the defects that I just found is I have to be liked. And I don't like it when people are upset with me, whether it's valid or not. And that changes how I behave. There was a lot of stuff I've had to work with with my wife that I have walked in terror of her for a lot of time. So my wife had a lot of anxiety that she didn't deal with. And it got very acute after her mother died. And she'd be the first one to say, I was a nightmare for a couple of years. And I've said, yes. You were pretty tough for a couple of years and she is a night and day difference. And yet I'm still ready to duck mm. for the plate that's not coming my way because I don't like it when she's upset or angry at me or grumpy. And it could be something that's valid or it could be something not valid. And sometimes in relationships, you get on each other's nerves but I want to avoid that like the plague. And I look at myself as very confident, but if I get something on social media coming my way, 
that is not positive, even if it's not valid, it piss it, it really yeah. upsets me. Sends me into a no. Fight. I know we've talked about that uh, in the past, and it's and it's legit. It is. It's a little, you're not the only one. Um, I have that's less of a problem. I think everybody wants to be liked to a certain extent, uh, but I will tell you that you know my wife reminds me on occasion, just like you know you're talking about your wife, how you get sort of a bit um, uneasy at certain situation is that my wife gets that around me sometimes, right? And had a big blow up with a neighbor. Really? I I wouldn't see that in her. I just look at her as I'm not taking your crap. Um, no, not around me. I mean, she, you know, she gets, she gets quiet. She will say something. She withdraws, basically. She, oh, she'll just end up going to her bedroom, watching TV, reading, and sort of, and I know, and, and what happens is, is, you know, she'll just go in there and close the door and stay away. And she'll she'll bring it up to me, and she'll say it's bring me back to the time where you know she had to go see a divorce lawyer because she hated living in that situation. And I can't get pissed about that. I created that, right? Um, I do try to tell her, come on, you know, you you know, it's not like that anymore. And she does. And this is the point. And this, I guess, the point I'm trying to make is, even though she understands it's different now. That doesn't mean she doesn't get transported back to that place at times, right? And just like you, you're expecting, you know, shit to start flying, whether it's word or, or, or whatever it might be in your case. So, and I do, when she tells me that, that's painful, right? That's painful for me to hear. Like, oh, yeah. So painful to hear yeah, that type It's of like, stuff. oh, yeah, that was me. That was that jerk. Um, and I can still be that jerk. I'm not as, I'm not as mean as I was. I was a mean person. And when, you know, when I was, when I was, before I got into this program and I wasn't pleasant to be around, even though if you asked me, I would have told you I was a pretty nice guy. <laughs> just, just ask me, I would have told you that. And it's funny. One thing I want to tell you, I was like, I had to take our buddy Mike from the Monday night meeting. He goes, he doesn't drive. So he, I've been taking him to some doctor's appointment. So I said to him today, last time I took him to this doctor's appointment, I sat in the car and, and uh, listened to a podcast. And I'm like, Hey, I don't want to sit in my car in this weather, keep it running. I said, call the office and see if, if they'll let me come in and just sit in your waiting room while you're doing your thing. And I'll just bring a podcast and listen, you know, put my ears on and listen to it. And I decided anyway to do some grocery shopping while he did it. There was a place. But he says to me, like, oh, you know, they really didn't want you to come in. I'm not sure they would have been happy about it. And I said to him, Mike, I don't give a shit if they're happy. If I wanted to go in there and sit, as long as they allow. If they said I wasn't allowed, I wouldn't have gone in. But if they're just don't want me to come in, if I'm allowed, I'm going to go in and sit. I don't give a shit if they like it or not. And that's the difference. Like, I don't care in that situation. Like, I'm just going to, I just want to sit. I'd be right. worried. I'd be worried that they would be yeah. judging. I would, yeah, that to me, I wouldn't care. Yeah, and he said, "Oh, they got to ask you some COVID questions." Like, yeah, that's fine. All that, all that's fine. And I didn't end up going in there anyway. But my point exa is exactly that. Like, I could care less if these people wanted me in there, didn't want me. If they don't, you know, if they allowed me in there, and that's where I needed to be, I was going in there, and it wouldn't have mattered to me one bit. Um, yeah, that makes sense. The in the Northeast, we're going through some really hot weather. And I've noticed it at the gym yeah. that these days where there's not really that many people, it's like double the amount of people because nobody wants to work outside because it is it is murderously yeah. awful. I, I don't like this at all. I woke up this morning. I told my wife, which, oh, last night we were watching the news and like, oh, it's going to be 75 degrees at seven o'clock in the morning. So much if you're a runner of getting up and going out for a run while it's cool out. 75 degrees in this humidity is also very humid out here. 
at 75 degrees and humid, it's a horrible time to run. I mean, you know, it's trust me, I've done it many a times and it's just it's just hard. It's not fun. And my son has been doing it. Yeah, no. He's been doing it and he has basketball camp. Oh man. For like four hours, three hours. Yeah. In the gym, which I don't care whether they have air conditioning on or not. No. It's it's gross. And he is he's running and then he's going to the gym. Right. And then he's, you know, playing basketball. He might even go out tonight and shoot baskets for an hour or two. He's insane. Yeah, you can do that when you're young. You can. I mean, I did. I, I used, you know, I was younger. I ran and all this stuff. None of it. Even today, the temperature doesn't bother me that much. Like, if I needed to be outside, I could be outside and this stuff. I just, it, mentally, and I always say that mentally, physically, because I'm older, it bothers me. But I don't have a mental, like, there are, like, there are things my wife, my wife just can't mentally handle the heat and um so uh, but yeah when I, it, it gets worse for me every year no it is i like it less and less yeah, and i can get sick very easily outside me too and i can get sick because um i don't you know i respect it more than i used to and um and i have gotten myself sick before because i haven't respected it enough and uh, it's dangerous right especially as you get older um, and in this temperature, it's dangerous. Uh, so anyway, we're off the subject, but, uh, yeah, character defects, you know, I was, I was looking up people's like, Hey, what are character defects? And one of the things I Googled was, you know, the se- seven deadly sins, right? Um, sloth, envy, um, what are they? They're pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, and sloth. Like those are the type of things, right? And then we also a lot of selfishness stuff. Absolutely, absolutely, a lot of selfishness, selfishness stuff, um, self-centered stuff. Absolutely. So, but. well, now it's your turn. It's your turn to give us some feedback. I'd love to hear from you. What do you think about your character defects? What character defects do you have? If you're not sure what a character defect is, what questions do you have about that? You can reach it, reach out to us, Matt at SoberFriendsPod.com or on Instagram at SoberFriendsPod. Very easy to leave a direct message or an email and we'll read it. Your questions or your views on how it affects you could help someone else. Also, would love you to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, give a rating on Spotify. We're just really happy that we're helping you and you're supporting the show. Steve, thanks for coming on. Thanks for helping me out tonight. Hey, my pleasure. Always great to be here and and do this with you. All right, everybody, we will see you next week. See you next week. Bye, everyone. You made it this far into the podcast. That tells me you're a pretty big fan. If you like what we do and you find value in the podcast, consider a donation at buymeacoffee.com backslash soberfriendspod. Your donation keeps us on the air to help out the new guy and helps us defray some of our costs. If you find value in our podcast, please consider a donation at buymeacoffee.com slash soberfriendspod.